But the thing is, we're all here for so long, and we all believe in the technology. We don't believe in just in fun. We love the space, we want to see it grow, and it's inevitable to want to build something in a space that you love so much. You want to do more, you want to interact with more people. It's a part of your life by now. Hi, I'm Tim Schneider, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News, where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. In 2017, Canadian software developers Matt Hall and John Watkinson debuted what would become a landmark project in the early crypto art movement, the CryptoPunks. Released through their company Larva Labs, the CryptoPunks consisted of 10,000 unique collectible characters whose chain of title would be tracked on the Ethereum blockchain. Each punk is a 24 by 24 pixel avatar whose individual traits were generated algorithmically. From mohawks to shaved heads, from eye patches to colored eyeshadow, and even from human men and women to apes, zombies, and aliens, every punk is one of a kind, but all would look perfectly at home intimidating a businessman in a classic 8-bit Nintendo game. Although Hall and Watkinson kept the thousand crypto punks for themselves, the duo released the other 9,000 punks for free to any Ethereum users willing to pay the gas fees to claim them back in 2017. But the punks' value on the secondary market and their presence in popular culture have exploded in the years since. In June 2021, a single alien punk sold at Sotheby's for $11.75 million. Two months later, Visa paid $150,000 to acquire a CryptoPunk for its corporate collection, and at this September's Met Gala, Reddit co-founder Alexis Ohanian wore a badge depicting a CryptoPunk he bought for his wife, tennis superstar Serena Williams, because he thought it resembled her. But the CryptoPunks have also brought together a tight-knit global community who see the project and the wider crypto art space as so much more than a driver of record sales and red carpet moments. As part of Artnet's effort to bridge the gap between the crypto community and the world of fine art, Artnet's own Jiayin Chen recently held a roundtable discussion with three early collectors of CryptoPunks, also known within the community simply as OGs. They are B, one of the only known women among the original CryptoPunk claimants, Claire Silver, who is now a renowned crypto artist in her own right, and Mr. 703, who originally claimed well over 700 CryptoPunks and currently ranks as the fifth largest collector of the series worldwide. Jayan connected with the trio over Zoom a few days before the third annual NFT NYC conference kicked off in Times Square. Here is their conversation. Hi, everyone. My name is Jiayin Chen, and I'm excited to delve into the story of CryptoPunks with three wonderful punk OGs today, Claire Silver, Mr. 703, and B. Hi, everyone, and thank you for being on The Art Angle. Hi. Hello. Hello, hello. So I wanted to start with Claire Silver, a pink hair punk as her avatar on Twitter. Claire has become such an influencer in the community. She's also an amazing AI artist, and NFTs have enabled a career for her that is otherwise impossible. 
Claire, you had an interesting introduction to CryptoPunks. Can you tell me about your story? I definitely can. And Mr. 703 may want to jump in here or not. But the basic rundown is that I had a life-changing illness and my prior career. And I sulked about it for a few years and was very online. And in the process of being online, I discovered crypto. I was in kind of a message board for people that were having a hard time and someone popped in and said, hey, you know, why don't you check out crypto? It's at least something for you to do. And so I started looking around and I got really excited about a particular altcoin. I was in a chat room for that altcoin when I met someone who was talking about this project that had just come out, which was CryptoPunks. And we both were very excited about what it meant and where it was going. And so after chatting for a little bit, I had the incredible fortune of them being extremely generous and saying, well, I just claimed several hundred. Would you like three? I think it was just after claim. And so I said, sure, you know, of course. And we agreed that I would hold them until they were in the MoMA. And that person turned out to be Mr. 703. So I held them over the years, never sold. And when this big amazing run-up has happened in the past couple of years. I sort of came back to the space and reconnected with Mr. 703 and got involved in the community. And I had taught myself to paint in that time. So it was a perfect fit to start making art in the community. And it's all kind of organically come out of that random act of kindness. So community for me was very important from the beginning because that's the only reason that I'm here at all. So definitely, yeah. Speaking of this mysterious collector, Mr. 703, We have the honor of having him with us today on the podcast. So Mr. 703 once owned 730 Punks. This is where his Twitter handle came from. So if you don't have an idea of how big of a whale collector that means, he's now still ranks as the number five biggest punk owners with 170 or so punks sitting in his wallet. So welcome, Mr. 703. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? How did you learn about the CryptoPunks? Why and how you claim so many of them? Right. I have been in security pretty much all my adult life. And that meant, you know, knowing about encryption, asymmetric cryptography, and that sort of thing, all technologies that in the end enabled the breakthrough that we now call blockchain. The first blockchain, of course, was Bitcoin. Then a number of derivatives came from that. I was particularly interested in Ethereum, where I made an initial investment in 2016. I had an investment in Bitcoin in 2011. At the time, Bitcoins were about $16 a piece. I ended up needing the money for rent, so I I sold close to that $16. But I didn't make the same mistake again with Ethereum. Used the same Ethereum to claim CryptoPunks. And when they came out, I was already pre-primed. I have heard about rare papers, which were in the, and still are on the Bitcoin blockchain, or a counterparty to be precise. And I was absolutely convinced that this is something that I wanted to be a part of. And I didn't think of it in terms of financial return or anything like this. I just knew it was incredibly significant. And I actually claimed altogether 760, 30 for my dad gave three to Claire, who I never met before. And it was just an incredible story. And of course, it was just the beginning of her story. And now she's just such an incredible star in the art world. 
which is mm. mind blowing. Yeah. This is such an incredible story. We're gonna come back in a second to have you talk about why you're so convinced of crypto punks from the very beginning. What I'm also very curious is why you chose this purple hair punk among all of them as your avatar. It's funny that over time you developed this digital identity and it became how you are perceived. Right now, I'm actually visualizing I'm talking to three avatars as if we meet in real life. You would definitely have purple hair. Yes, I have purple hair. I'm actually smoking right now and I'm wearing a gold chain. No, of course not. People wonder sometimes how I look like. And I lie and I say I look like George Clooney with beard. But the avatar, it's basically a five-attribute purple hair punk with a cigarette, shady beard, gold chain, and sunglasses. You know, in itself, purple hair, etc., and all these attributes are nothing super special. But the way that they are combined in this particular punk makes it a clean five-attribute punk, which is exceedingly rare. I do have punks that are rarer than this. I have a zero-attribute female, actually, uh, as well as a zombie But I chose this one because it looks extremely punk. That's really cool. B, you are among the first women in the initial punk climbers in 2017 in the NFT space. A supposedly innovative, forward-thinking community seems to be seriously lacking diversity and inclusion. When did you learn about this and how did the knowledge affect your thinking about your involvement in the NFT space? Well, to be fair, I have some blurred memories of finding out about the punks. I remember claiming them very clearly, but not exactly finding out about them, which is, well, fair enough. You know, it's been quite a while and I was dormant for so long. And I know that there was at least one other woman that did claim some punks. She did sell her whole portfolio a while back, at least a year ago so. I don't know if she still follows the space. It would be really nice to have her reach out and see what happened, why she sold her whole portfolio. But I stuck around. I put one ape for sale. I had four apes and I decided to put one for sale like two days after claim. Because as Ms. 703 mentioned, it had to be significant. It had to be something that we would know of and value in time. And not only, of course, the monetary value of it, but I decided to put that one ape for like 37 ether, which was for something that was for free. It was a lot of money. And since then, I held on and I just recently sold another one. I find it very difficult to let go of the punks. And also, I don't have as many as he does. So it's a tough balance. And why does so few women? Well, there's so many issues there. There are few women in STEM. And whenever we try to enter the space, we are swimming against the tide. Nowadays, it's a little bit better, but still, like you're a woman joining tech and, oh, are you sure it's a boys club? You know, the boys are doing this. Why don't you do something more feminine? You know, go be a teacher or, I don't know, something more carer style. And also, you don't really hear about it from your peers because most of your peers are also not into tech. So your circle very rarely bring this to you. Now that we have this thriving community on Twitter, for example, you get much more information from so many sources that you wouldn't have met otherwise and connect with them and find out things that are going on in any of the spaces, be it Ethereum or Tezos or Solana, and find out what is going on. So it is a little bit more feasible. Mm -hmm. It enables more spread of knowledge. but 
it's still difficult for women to get into tech and to thrive into tech, but I'm happy to see this change. I totally agree with you. By the way, congratulations on your recent sale. I know it was a few weeks ago already, but it was a pretty decent sale. Yeah, it was. I was quite happy with it. I find it hard to let go of my punks, but once I put in my head, okay, this is going to be it. I'm going to sell one. I find a price I'm comfortable with and I won't look back. I won't regret it. And although it was resold for a profit, if I hadn't sold it for a thousand, it wouldn't have resold for 1.6. So there are those benchmarkers. It was the first zombie sold for 1K. And I'm happy to move the market in that direction. So I think it was a good sell, not just for myself, of course. It was definitely good, but also for the market. I think it was nice to see it moving again and bring zombies up a bit. I think everyone won. You said it sold for 1,000 ETH. Yeah. And the value today, I think Ethereum, it would worth... 3.5 million. Wow. That's really an incredible number. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like I... I didn't sell it for 3.5 because Ethereum was cheaper back then. We had a dip. But although I keep using the Ether and, you know, I have other projects that I'm investing in. So Ether prices are going up. So, you know, mm-hmm. give, they keeps on giving. So that's quite mm-hmm. nice. The interesting thing about crypto coins, right? Well, in any coin really, but my sell and so the, the money that I got for it is increasing in value without me doing anything. It could, of course, have gone... 180 degrees differently and I could have just have five euros to my name but luckily not definitely also I know you're looking to swap your punk with cyber cons tell us what is your swapping strategy there uh I'm not sure I'm gonna go through with that actually although the community was very welcoming I have to say they were super nice and they explained several aspects of the project to me I am not sure that's going to be my best strategy. I'm thinking about what swap is that I'm going to do, but I think I will. I think it's going to be a, an interesting diversification. Get into another project and swap it for a punk. And maybe someone that doesn't have a punk will join the community. So I think maybe everyone wins. So here's a question for all of you. At what point do you start to realize you're onto something? Tell me about your life after you claimed the punks. Did you quit your job immediately and became a full-time NFT evangelist? Well, I have to say I'm still not NFT exclusive. I have people working for me and I'm not comfortable leaving my job without having everyone secure for the future. Once everyone's taken care of, and then I'll definitely quit because this space is the best space to work with. It's the one space that you're always looking forward to coming back to. And yeah, this is what I want to do full-time, definitely. So this is the thing. I still kind of have a very normal life. I haven't really changed my life. No one really knows that it's me walking around with, you know, I could sell this ape for a few thousand ether as well. I don't feel like I need to change my lifestyle to enjoy all the things that NFTs have to bring. So it's going steady and slowly and well. So all the people around you, they have no idea that you are active punk OGs. No. Well, my tax accountant does. I don't know about you guys. I have a little bit of a different story. B, first of all, mad, mad respect. I've just had a look at your collection. We haven't had a, the pleasure of interacting before, I don't think. No, it was the first time. And your collection is just beautiful. Oh, thank you. So quality over quantity. But I guess I was a bit late to the table and all the apes and zombies were taken in my case. 
Yeah, I claimed all these punks. And then I went to sleep for four years. My dad printed out a couple of punks. I had one on my desk reminding me that that's the thing. But I didn't join the community. I wasn't looking at prices. And just in early 21, actually, I was talking to my partner about various blockchains and also told her about CryptoPunks. And I showed her and I saw that there were some large bits on my punks, like $20,000. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of money. And so I accepted that. And then apparently, after people realized that I had woken up as an account, uh, and I learned later that I had a name and everything, you know, and people were speculating about me and all sorts of things, because at the time I was the single largest holder mm-hmm. of CryptoPunks. Within 24 hours, I received total bits of $150,000. And that's more money than I've ever owned in my life. And I thought, okay, this is crazy. Something else, I have to spend some time on this. There was some private negotiation with somebody from the DeFi community to sell a large share of my CryptoPunks for $3.7 million. And I looked at floor prices and I said, no, that doesn't make any sense. So I rejected $3.7 million wow. and entered the Discord, you know, introducing myself with a signed message from my account. And then yeah, I started to sell a large chunk of my punks. And if I held on to them, I would have seen uh, probably bigger returns. But I, I did well with my investments, going into art blocks, uh, rare papers, and others. So I'm definitely not complaining. Yeah, I quit my job, for sure. I always felt a bit weird in the workplace, a bit like an alien in a human suit. <laughs> so not, not having to do that on a daily basis anymore was a huge improvement of my quality of life. Yeah, and now I invested a bit of money into a nice castle in the skies, as I call it. Uh, you know, actually in the Swiss Alps, working on some plans to implement some of the ideas that I have, see how that goes. Wow, that's really amazing. So I have had my life completely changed by this movement. I was unemployed before. I come from a background of disability and generational poverty. I grew up in a flyover state with not many opportunities. This has become my job and my tribe, so to speak, and just my all-consuming passion. And I owe that to, again, this random act of kindness a few years ago from Mr. 703. So it's very important to me to pay it forward, basically, with emerging artists from similar backgrounds going forward. You know, I'm selling my work. I... (laughs) was afraid to show it to anyone for a long time. And now I have it going up in Times Square next week. So it's whiplash, right? But in the best way, got this digital identity that is worth more than any amount of money to me. I'm selling, you know, my work and other NFTs, but I'll never, ever sell my pink haired punk. It would feel like selling my soul at this point. It's so attached. It's not possible to disentangle, you know, going from not being able to buy a coffee maker to buying my mom a house in a matter of a few months, just completely life-changing. So I'm super evangelist about this space because I know what it can do. Almost nobody knows in real life. There's a handful of family members, but otherwise I've kept it quite anonymous. So it's cool because I sort of get the benefits of the success that I found here, but I, I still get to retain that privacy, which keeps me safe and keeps me grounded and comfortable, you know, 
I did have this experience not too long ago where, you know, in my little flyover town, very small town, maybe 2,000 people, there is a Walmart and little else. And so I walked into this Walmart and I had this sort of out of body experience where I realized like I could buy anything I want. I can take care of my needs. I can buy gifts for my family. And I don't have to worry about where I'm going to sleep, if I'm going to be able to pay rent, if I'm going to be able to get to the doctor, if my illness flares up. And so it was this crazy experience where I just felt released from want for the first time in my life. I can't describe what that felt like any differently than that, but it was totally transformational and kind of a genuine rags to riches story as a direct result of this art movement and of this cultural movement. It's very important to me to, again, pay that forward and to focus on emerging artists and voices that are not typically served by the structures that are in place and help as many people experience that as possible because there's nothing like it. Yeah, I'm so grateful for this place. This is a really amazing story. Thank you, Claire. Community is the most valuable aspect of NFTs. Without a community, NFTs have no value. This is a quote I like from Koopa Thrupa. For those who don't know, CryptoPunks have a very active online community, primarily on the Lava Labs Discord channel. The creators Matt Hall and John Watkinson have stayed pretty hands-off, and it's the punk owners that have kept the community alive. Claire, tell me about the punk community. So I have not been involved in the punk community for as long as several other members. I only really started getting involved in the Discord in, I guess, January, maybe, early February. But what I noticed right away was that they all had really strong conviction about it, which you would have to have, right? Because if they're worth all of this capital, then to keep them as your avatar and to not sell them, it's a very public showing of putting your money where your mouth is when it comes to your values. Right. And so, yeah, that lended a kind of weight and credibility, that visual display of conviction that I super resonated with right away. Being a member of this community has opened more doors than my degree ever did, than my prior career ever did. There's more doors than I can walk through at all times. The network that they have built of believers in this from all walks of life and all positions is just incredible. And the price of membership is that you have a punk, put your money where your mouth is and have a punk. And what you get in exchange for that is being a part of this network that will do anything for any member and is dedicated to moving the culture forward like this space is moving the culture forward on the bleeding edge of that. So I'm so impressed by the punk community. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a really integral part of, I mean, NFTs, but anything really. If you don't have the social sentiment behind it, if you don't have the strong belief behind it, then it doesn't have that weight. So punk started it and then it's rippled out into several other communities I say punk started it, but there are definitely other projects like Rare Pepe's that have had a lot of passion from the beginning. But yeah, that's sort of my take. I completely agree with Claire, if I may jump in. But we actually thought that the punks had been the first NFTs, right? And it turns out it was not the case. And the thing is, I really believe that CryptoPunks became all that they are because of the community. I really believe that. I don't know how much value the punks would have. They would have because they were very early and NFTs would have come in any case. But 
there's a validation from the community once you get a punk and uh, you get a place at the table. Right. Is there actually like an unspoken pact back then that each punk owner should start a startup and you will support each other? What? <laughs> If there's a pact, I'm, I'm unaware of. I, I wouldn't say that, no, but I just from an outside perspective and as of this year, it did seem like everybody had their own sort of project going. In the punks chat, you know, Snowfro had art block. Yeah. You know, everybody had their own sort of thing that they were doing to move the community forward. Right. And so, like, maybe that was sort of an unspoken thing, but definitely not a not an official thing. Definitely not. Yeah, but the thing is, we're all here for so long and we all believe in the technology. We don't believe in just in punks. We love the space. We want to see it grow. And it's inevitable to want to build something in a space that you love so much. You want to do more. You want to interact with more people. It's a part of your life by now. So what's so special about owning a punk? I always see people use their punks as online avatars on social media. As a punk owner, I assume you get a lot of freebies and exclusive opportunities. Some say it is a form of social currency. I don't know that somebody owning a punk, a random punk, getting freebies or special treatment or something like that. But I can tell you from my own personal experience today that when I saw B's ape, I thought, is that person really owning that ape? <laughs> you know, immediately I thought, okay, wow, I, this, this person's serious. You know, I better, hmm, better be careful. <laughs> um, so I guess it's a question of, you see a particular PFP project as an avatar for an individual and you, and I'm not very susceptible to this, so I'm not a good person to judge what the effects are there. But I witnessed it today, just now with B. So certainly, you know, there is something like this that's real, for sure. I agree with Miss 703. But it is something that when you see the punk, it's someone that either has spent a lot of time holding it because believed in it, or is someone that invested a lot of money to have a seat mm. at the table. So I think those are the two things that it conveys immediately. And there has some weight at least. But about the freebies, I think also most punks would like to pay their fair share. We don't want to take away from the community and just get stuff for free. You know, if we do get something, we'll probably pay the artist anyway. I sometimes commissioned work and the artist said they didn't want anything for it. I'm like, oh no, like, no, let's get something for it. Even if it's low, but it's something I, I feel like I'm, taking advantage because I'm in this position of privilege. Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. Exactly. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It makes me a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, well. it, it feels sort of like, you know, artists have been told for so long that their work doesn't have value, <laughs> that they're just like gifting it, you know, and it's like, no, we're trying to break away yeah. from that. Let me pay you for it. But the exception would be, and, and sometimes I do pay for fan art, but they don't always let me do it. But I do get a lot of fan art and I love the idea, the sort of like meme idea 
that you can have something or create something and it filters out as an idea to create more art that they just want to share with you. And then, you know, you in turn share it with everyone else so that it can be seen. So I do love that, but I, I do try to pay them. They don't always let me, but I, I hope artists can value themselves more after this movement really takes hold, gets traction. Yeah, I know as a punk owner, you also receive meat bits for free. And I also heard from Nifty Nolt. He told me, if you own an ape, there are just so many doors are open in front of you. You can basically get to talk to anyone on the internet. Do you have similar experience? I don't own an ape, but what are these kind of EFPs are status symbols? What is the purpose of a status symbol? It shows two things. A, the person that is displaying the status symbol is not afraid to broadcast that they have something of extreme value. In the case of an ape, I don't know B, what, how much you value your ape. Uh, I know Moxley is you know, in a similar position and it's in the order of 30 million. I think he has it today at like 19,000 ether. So when you have that as your profile pick, that is like walking into a, a watch shop with a watch on your arm that costs a million bucks. You're going to be treated very, very differently. Right. You know, because people know immediately this person is very serious and has serious resources. I don't want to put anybody down who is owning or buying a PFP for a lot of money, but it's just a lavish display of resources. I have an ape and I completely agree with you. It is a lavish display, but it shows that I value my place in the community more than the money that it could generate me, basically. I don't think it puts down. I completely agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but people resonate with this on different levels. You know, on the one hand, people say, oh my God, you own an ape, and then they adore you because it's a CryptoPunk ape, you know, or a clean five Addy, or, you know, Claire being Claire, and so on and so on. And other people, they, you know, they see this and they say, this costs more than 10 houses, you know. And that that does something to people interacting with you, for sure. Yeah, it's also sort of like there's the status symbol, of course, but I've been thinking lately about how it's kind of like organizing primitive culture for this increasingly rapidly coming digital world that we're all going to be inhabiting, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's status symbols, but it's also forming tribes. You belong to a community. You choose your community and you belong to that and you signal that. You've got tribes and then you've got art cave paintings and you've got idols and you've got storytellers and it's all just kind of in the soup mix towards this cultural revolution that we're having digitally. Yeah. And it is uh, one flex to buy an ape for 30, 50, 60 million dollars that gets a lot of attention. And we have some high profile mm-hmm. individuals in the community that have done something along those lines. But it's a completely different kind of flex to say, you know, I minted that. Oh, I claimed that. Very few people can say that. Very few people can say that. You no, know, it's, it's a bit like I birthed it, you know? I was there from the beginning. It, it was always me. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. I can sell my other two apes. I don't know when I could ever sell this one. I won't say never, yeah. but it's me. People look at it and say, okay, yeah, that's me. Uh, so it's difficult for me to imagine mm-hmm. a crypto life without this ape. I'm its mom. Yeah, we've been together from the very beginning. Yeah. 
Yeah, digital identity is wild. <laughs> right? It is absolutely wild. With digital property, mm-hmm. digital anonymity can still be represented with something meaningful and valuable in the form of these kind of PFPs, which is something that has not been possible before. And that has impact on identity as well and everything that flows from that. Right. That's very true. I, I totally agree with you. So here's our next question. Some people say punk millionaires are simply having gotten lucky, like one of these stories of the Wild West. How would you respond to that? Oh, goodness. Luck is having the knowledge and the opportunity together, right? So it's not just simply that it fell on our laps. We had the knowledge to be at the right place at the right time and claim them. But we also stuck. We didn't sell them at the first chance we got. So I think that's also very important to, to keep in mind. So it's just plain dumb luck. I cannot agree with. It was a little bit to be at the right place at the right time, but also some forward thinking, some long-term thinking that this had to be something and to stick with it. Yeah, there are definitely very talented artists and very forward-thinking people that did not end up with a punk. So there is some luck involved, but it also, not to toot your own horn, so to speak, but it does take a certain amount of vision to be able to see what's coming and not take the money, basically. I like to say that I'm just early enough to things to be mocked for it, generally. And thankfully, there's a whole community of people like that here that have that same sort of forward thinking process and believe in it. You know, the punk has made a huge difference for me. I'm not naive enough to think that my art would be as well received initially if I didn't have that punk. But at the same time, you know, you can use that power to elevate people that didn't have that opportunity or weren't able to capitalize on it at the time. I wouldn't say it's just luck. It's definitely not luck. I didn't walk down the street and then there was a punk staring at me. And then I picked it up and then it turns out to be worth, you know, $100 million. What happened was I've spent 30 years honing my filter of what is new and innovative in the space. And then I was at the right place at the right time. So preparedness, meeting opportunity. And I still have enough ego, you know, to point to, uh, you know, being able to repeat that in a number of cases and, uh, you know, art blocks, Claire Silver, Rare Paper, a number of other plays that I've made, you know, where I would say, Quoting, you know, an artist that I admire greatly, taste is the new skill. Aww. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think even besides luck, it's also your personality, your vision and approach toward this new concept of digital assets that make all the differences. Are there any other particular punk transactions that feel like turning points in a community and why or what changed afterwards? I know that... G-Money, another NFT punk collector who spent $170,000 in January on a crypto punk. It was a headline making prices that time. So can you tell me about the story of another mean collector, punk 4156? Claire, you wrote an interview of him back then. I did. I don't know enough actually about 4156 background other than I know he was in some sort of 
traditional finance and mm-hmm. I think DeFi as well. And when he saw the punk that he ended up purchasing, he immediately was so excited by the concept of building a digital identity around that punk and immediately saw sort of what could come from that supervisionary in that way. And so that's exactly what he did to great effect. You know, it's a really new thing for abstract concepts without physical counterparts to have like concrete financial agreed upon value. But I think it's graspable to anyone that's grown up with the internet. And that's why perhaps some of the millennial and Gen Z generations have had an easier time with it. But another prominent example recently I can think of was the punk Richard was offered close to 10 million He had made a statement online that he wouldn't sell his punk for any price, that he was priceless, basically. And someone put in a bid of like $10 million and said, hey, come on, Richard, let's test your metal. Like, wouldn't this be great? You know, and he didn't take it. And the reason that he didn't take it is because he saw his digital identity that he has built up as having more cultural, social, and eventually financial value than that concrete $10 million figure over the course of his lifetime. In general, I think that the community has just sort of agreed from the beginning, like these are worth more. These are important. These are foundational to an art movement that will shape culture for decades or centuries to come as we move more digitally. And so they have more value and they've acted on that. It's kind of organically grown over time. And as more interest from outside has come in and agreed upon that, it's gotten bigger and bigger. And yeah, I think it's now rippling out to the whole NFT space, but CryptoPunks was probably the first real visible example of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does anyone know the story of Stray Bits? Stray Bits has one of the wildest stories I've ever heard. He was working as a hacker in the cybersecurity space and at some point quit his job overnight and moved to Sri Lanka to live a nomad life. He almost owned all the rarest punk at one point. He claimed seven out of nine alien punks and he owned eight out of 24 ape punks. What's really interesting is that although he owned so many punks, Stray Bits believe that it's pointless for one person to hoard all these crypto punks. People should let them circulate and enjoy them, which is why he decided actually to sell a lot of them. He even gave away an alien to a monk that he met in the mountains of Sri Lanka after they chatted about blockchain technology. The punks market will not be the same if it's not because of Stray Bits, many people said. And the current market would not exist if there were no transactions. A market needs liquidity to grow and by placing the punks. Yeah, I know Straybits, or as he's called in Discord Moxley, pretty well. We had a number of calls and advised each other on a number of occasions. He's the resident Zen monk of CryptoPunk Discord. All around fantastic guy, recently sold one of the Tirara bandits at uh, Sotheby's got a bit of a raw deal there as the punk sold for what I've heard 30 to 40% below floor. Floor is uh, like the accepted base for a particular type of punk. Mm -hmm. When I sold a bunch of punks, I think it was around about a hundred pretty early on in February to Flamingo Dow. I could be argued that I sold way too early and if I would have hold on to them, there would be way much more worth now. The other hand, without 
Flamingo DAO creating this sense of FOMO in the market, we wouldn't have seen that kind of attention and uh, you know run up. So there's a lot to it. Of course, they have to circulate. If nobody would have sold from the very beginning, punks would be nowhere. Completely agree. We have to have both. It has to be some people that hold, not all of the punks that they have, but some of them. It's healthy to have people selling and other people buying and joining and leaving the community. It keeps everything fresh and everyone on their toes. And the sales that he had with the apes and the aliens, they moved the market. Yeah, it was important to have that too. Okay. On a trading floor, people say the market is always right. On the other hand, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. When people call NFTs the tulip mania of the 21st century, some people even say NFTs are the ICOs in 2021. Tell me, where do you see the punks and the NFT space in five to 10 years? Speaking artistically, culturally, financially, will NFTs be one of the centerpieces of the Roaring Twenties? Yeah, the tulip mania, the problem there was that you could just you know, replant the tulips and you got more tulip bulbs, which was uh, you know, what was traded in these high rates. Can't do that with punks. Punks, they're always going to be 10,000. I think a couple are unaccessible due to lost wallet keys and having been burned accidentally. So we are talking maybe 8,000. Is it like the ICO mania of 2017? In a sense, what followed CryptoPunks, yes, that's true. I think punks are the Ethereum and the ICO mania was very much about the next Ethereum. And the ICO mania of 2017 wasn't all bad. We got Polkadot. I participated in the ICO there. It's one of two ICOs I participated in. So we are experiencing something that is similar to the ICO craze of 2017, but that will fizzle out eventually. There will be few projects left standing. One of them is going to be punks. Beauty being in the eye of the beholder, in the sense that it's true, but I think beauty is objective, especially over long periods. But punks don't have to be beautiful. You know, they, they have been have been first. You can only do that one. Generally, what I see this as is sort of a generation's culture as economic model. A generation is sort of coming of age and they value creatives. And they grew up with meme culture and the internet and file share culture and the idea that you can share something and, and resonate with it and it doesn't detract anything from the original. In fact, it elevates the original. So the right-click-save sort of argument or the tulip sort of argument, I don't think it holds much weight. I think it looks that way to people because it's new. It's a new art movement, and the first works in any art movement are called not real art, right? Like the realist said that to the impressionists, and the impressionists said that to the abstract artists, and it's just sort of a rite of passage that comes along, but this is an art movement. And it's more than an art movement, too. Like, it's tied into things like digital identity, which is going to become a bigger and bigger part of our lives as we move more into the metaverse. That's a way that you can choose who you are and how you're seen and your ideas, your inner self are the focal point, which is much more fair and inclusive than the random lottery that you're assigned at birth. That's going to be a big part of this NFT movement. It's going to transform intellectual property and copyright in general. And that's going to ripple out to broader culture to make things more about sharing, more online, more collaborative and inclusive. Yeah, I think this is just the very cusp of something that's going to 
absolutely transform culture globally. Yeah, the tulip argument doesn't hold very much water with me. <laughs> I also expect that we use NFTs and that we use contracts on the blockchain for so many other things in the future. And that this technology will be everywhere and it will just permeate through people's lives. So once that happens, what would be extraordinary about having art in the blockchain, art in smart contracts and as an NFT? And by then everything will be normalized. So it's not just the movement. It will change things as they have been done for centuries. It is changing, like royalties. Art royalties exist in what Europe and then two other countries. I think some countries even have them as being illegal. It's just standard that artists reap the rewards of their work being resold in this NFT culture. So there's so much good coming from it that there's no turning back. This is not going anywhere. It's just getting bigger. Before we end tonight, one last question to you all. As a punk OG and the opinion leaders in the community, so to say, what is the latest NFT artist project that you think should be on everyone's radar? You mean except Claire Silver? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, it hasn't been that long, but it's been forever. Like the toads, goodness, you know? Yeah, definitely toads, but it seems like they've been around forever now. So it's difficult to put a finger on something that's very fresh. AI art in general is you know, just starting to, just starting to take right. off. So I think anyone working with AI in any way that brings to mind questions around it or, or comments on, you know, the culture around AI, like I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Nodra Deck is a, a female AI artist, brilliant artist that is training again to create plants. She's a botanist as well as an AI researcher, which is fantastic. Um, so she's creating kind of a blooming greenhouse of AI plants. Love that. Benjamin Bardo is another, he's an artist that uses pixel sorting and, and AI in his process to create these really fresh, dreamlike, incredible video landscapes that make you feel like you're a part of the place and criminally underrated. Mers Mensch is another that's on the cutting edge of AI. It's so new that there's not a lot of enthusiasm or backers sort of behind it yet, but I think we're just about to have liftoff on that in the next month or so, and, and it'll snowball from there. Yeah, Claire's taking the words out of my mouth. I mean, the AI art movement that Claire has pioneered is like the next impressionism. I mean, don't worry about this project or that project. 10K PFP projects are dead. There are some individual artists out there that are quite interesting. But if you're not paying attention to what's happening with AI collapse, you're looking in the wrong direction. Thank you so much, everyone. This has been a really fascinating conversation. Thank you, B, Claire, Mr. 703 for being on The Art Angle. Thank you for having us. This was really great. Yeah, thank you for the invite. Yeah, thank you. Great questions. Enjoyed myself. That's it for this week's episode. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, take a moment to rate and review us. It will help other listeners discover what we're doing. And if you have some feedback or maybe a recommendation for a future episode, go ahead and email us at podcasts at artnet.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S at artnet.com. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Manalili, Caroline Goldstein, 
and me, Tim Schneider. Thanks for listening and see you next week.